This is BC Spritch, your look at the province's burgeoning distilling culture. Welcome back to another episode of the BC Spirits dedicated podcast. This week, I'm sitting down with Gordon Miriam from Odd Society in Vancouver. I sat down with them close to a year ago and did a podcast for PostShift, but I wanted to redo it and uh, sort of new audience, new show, and and sort of see what they're up to for 2020. They were here for Whiskey Fest a couple of weeks ago, so I had the opportunity to sit down and uh, chat to them about what's going on in the Odd Society world. Um, so many, they're such nice people, honestly. They're like the nicest people in the world, so I really enjoy just sitting down and having conversations with the stillers in uh, BC, talking about their inspiration. Uh, next week is Brennan from Steelhead, so you'll get a whole bunch of influence from there. So I really hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Thank you very much for the support. Enjoy your weekend. Go out and support local spirits. And uh, yeah, bye. So um, we're going to rehash a little bit from the first podcast, but because this is on the BC Spirits series platform, I did um, Quinn from Esquimalt Wong Company yes. last week. He's lovely. Him and Michaela are just lovely young. Yeah. Like, they just... And he's... I think... Well, I think everybody who opens a distillery in BC is eccentric to a degree. I think nobody... Nobody goes into it going, you know what? I'm going to retire off this. You know, I'm going to... If they do, they're silly. <laughs> that first two years, yeah. just put some right in their place um, and Quinn's obviously young and like they did the syrups to start and he's sort of the person that, the framework that I think again everybody that I've talked to is like oh, I've got a really good idea for this and then you start doing it like oh crap I didn't think this was going to take so much time I thought this was going to be easy everybody makes the move so everybody does this or everybody does that yes so what, what was the what was the the drive behind starting your own distillery especially in BC like everybody talks about the burgeon BC craft market, but nobody really gets into the the nuts and bolts of the money behind how much it needs to do to set up. It's it's definitely passion over business. Yeah, for sure. So, and we got started, um, or we we started before the rules changed. So we we had no idea. What was coming, or that it was going to turn out in our favor, um, we just totally naive, completely naive. So you, you guys, are the craft, as far as the craft, the, the rules changed in 2013. Yes. Oh wow! So yeah. you, you opened as like you you opened with the thought that you were going to be a craft distillery. We opened no, we opened with the thought we're just going to be a distillery. There was no such thing mm. as craft. Yeah. And then halfway through. The, these things started to change, and so there was even municipal ones where, um, well, it took us a year and a half to get started, about 18 months before we could finally open. Halfway through, the city, our architect one day said, well, the city's changed their rules. You can have a, a tasting room twice the size. We said, oh, my God. So... You weren't allowed to serve booze or anything, but we thought, why not, right? We should do it. So we resubmitted our plans, redrew them, resubmitted, and that took another six months or whatever. So, um, And then also near the end of when, just when we opened, that's when the new craft rules came out, and it was it was total serendipity. Did you did you set out to, like, apart from the designation, did you set out to do, like, everything from scratch? Like, we, masher and everything? Yeah, we, we did. Um, we, you know... No, we just didn't give it a lot of thought. We were going to do it straight grain to bottle right from the start. But we were going to, um, we had the rum Goodness, project. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. We had a, that's right, we weren't. One of our big things was we, 
um, we were going to do rum, but we were going to import it mm-hmm. from Florida Kenya yeah. so and age it in Vancouver. So basically, you know, born in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. aged in BC. Um, and we we actually have labels that we had with the um, with the, the, Wal- well, the Waldorf, Waldorf Hotel. Gonna, so oh, we wow. have they have labels rum called Waldorf Rum. So we had met with them. We oh wow! Florida Canyon had sent us samples. They did a blind tasting of the samples. And they actually picked the one that they were sending us. So it was like perfect. It was all set to go. And then right when we were getting ready to order from Florida, Kenya. The rules changed. The rules changed. And then we just sort of reevaluated and said, well, it doesn't really make sense. Like, you know, if you get that huge tax break, mm-hmm. it doesn't kind of make sense. So we totally switched gears and became... To meet craft before we even opened. Yeah, there was a period of time where there was so much change. Um, you know, as Gordon mentioned, we we were um, then we we you know we started changing the equipment and everything as soon as we found out that you know we had this craft designation and that we would have. Um, the margins in terms of, uh, you know, the taxation would be a lot less. So that's when we started adapting to, to those rules. And then it changed, like, as Gordon mentioned, we were allowed to have a larger tasting room. Then it changed where we were allowed to have to serve cocktails mm-hmm. with our own products. And it also, um, at some point earlier on, we were allowed to sell alcohol at farmer's markets. And we were, we were actually part of the pilot program in, in Vancouver. So we were were the first uh, distillery. Uh, I think one other. Uh, dist- I think it was Long Table uh, as well. But I just want to finish about yeah. the rum. Yeah. You know, with the rum, I totally forgot about that. We were going to make rum because we were, we're within spitting distance of Roger Sugar. Mm. So Which I've always felt interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, you go to Montreal, you go to downtown Montreal, they have that massive refinery. Yeah. And I've talked to a couple of friends and went, oh, is there any distilleries like, like they don't have the same designations and stuff on the East Coast. Yeah, I'm like, is there any like Montreal downtown distilleries that are making like rum from obviously all this molasses coming off the front? And they're like, no, it's yeah, not. you'd think that that would be just a the synergy, a natural, you which know, happens like a, all over the world. Yeah, yeah. So, so we want, you know, we can we can see the building. We thought, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get molasses from them and we're gonna do rum, bringing in rum, and then it, and then everything had to change. But I mean, I I'd gone to Scotland, so it was it was. Originally just going to be whiskey, but you know that's just not possible <laughs> when you're starting out on a small scale. So. Well, so rum is such a messy, like molasses and such. I've talked to a couple of people who've made like rum from scratch. I'm like, isn't it just gross? And they're like, yeah, everything gets sticky. Like the stills just get like gummed up with the the fermentation rum. Like it's just a nasty process. If you're doing it in small batches, like yeah, yeah. If you're doing like the big guys down in the Caribbean, like makes sense. But like, I think. Uh, Peter from Victoria Spirits was telling me that they made a batch of rum. I'm like, is it just nasty? And he's like, yeah, it just gets sticky everywhere. Sticky, mm-hmm. like just somehow it just gets sticky everywhere. I think that's that's what Dave said. You <laughs> yeah. know, from Wayward, he said yeah, that too. Honey. Even the honey, sticky. right? It's yeah. It's all, everything is always sticky. You walk through it, and your feet are always stuck in, sticking to the floor in that place. Mm-hmm. So, um, what year did you first release? What, did, what was the first product you released? Uh, the first one we did ended up being vodka. It was the East Van vodka. The second one was actually um, creme de cassis. Really? Because uh, where we live, our neighbor is a French chef. And then when he heard we're going to open it, he goes, oh, you have to make creme de cassis. And he said, and, and he came and said, this is how you make it. And and the, the, I may have told you the story before, but the funny part was, so he came... 
you know, and showing us how to do it. And we had a little, uh, almost like a food processor, you know, to work through the, the, the black currants. And then it comes time, you know, it gets boiled, uh, not quite boiled, but it gets heated in our process. And then it gets cooled, and then you have to filter it. And so, you know, we didn't have filters, but he whips out women's pantyhose. He stretches them over a bucket, and that's how he filtered. And he said, that's how our family always filtered the, the, the creme de cassis, was with the women's pantyhose. these days, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the first two commercial releases actually still used that, but we've pretty quickly we said, man, we got to get a proper filtration system. <laughs> what? Obviously, the cassis was serendipitous, but it's not usually the step that most distillers would take after making a vodka. It's like, you know, we should do a cassis really next. Yeah. We should do a cassis next before anything else. And how long after that was the Wallflower? Uh, that was the next one. So that took a, probably about another... It took a long time. Oh, yeah, that took a long time. Probably took another year, actually, before really? we... took quite a while. I remember Josh joined us, was a fellow Harriet Watt student. Mm-hmm. And he joined us just before we opened around the time we opened and he was instrumental in helping me and figuring out certain things yeah you, they would use a mini still and do lots of trials mm-hmm. I mean because gin is is once you have the recipe down pat then you you know it's 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 fairly um, you know a, a simple process but it's getting the recipe that's the hardest um, because you and you, you guys, you use both the still and the um, and the basket. The yeah, yeah. So we sort of split it up half. Half gets macerated, half gets goes in the gin basket. And Wallflower has gone on to become a bit of a cult status product. I think you're one of the distilleries out of Vancouver that on the Vancouver Island at least. I don't think there's many bars that don't have wallflower in some way, shape, or form. What do you think? What do you think the the drive? Like, you're one of a hundred and something gins in the province. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think is that cult status that people go? I need that in my life. Well, gin is is so exciting in, in BC, right? There's so many excellent gins, and uh, I think what's what's happened with gin, it's almost similar to wine. You know, you have different types of wine in your home, right? Before people would have one type of gin and now they have multiple gins and it depends on their mood. You know, ours is a, a floral gin and so it, it it doesn't appeal to everyone, but it definitely, when it does appeal to someone, they're very loyal and they really like it. Um, but I also think that a lot of people now are, are having their, you know, they have a savory gin, they'll have a more of a piney forward sort of tasting gin, the floral gin. Um, and so I think we started earlier we we developed a following and people are loyal as well as willing to try other gins and experiment so I think that's a part of it it's also a gin I think that uh, tastes really well in a tonic you know it's as simple as that or it does well in cocktails like an aviation and uh, we, so we always joke and, and say to people it's a if people don't like gin because of that pine forward flavor, we say it's a gateway gin. You know, it's a, you can. We don't have it's not pine forward, so you'll like our gin and then you'll move on to other gins or whatever. So and you guys like you're still at farmers markets every weekend. You personally, not just the brand, like you. I think we saw each other last at the Christmas market. Yes. Like, and here on the island, not in Vancouver, like here on the island at Christmas market, I was like, hey, you got people for this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Well, part of it is when we when we go out of town, mm-hmm. we like to do the markets ourselves. Um, so when we go uh, when we go to Victoria, we go to Whistler, we go to Kamloops. Um, so we we do do it ourselves. But in the city, in Vancouver, we have a fabulous yeah. team. Now we're set, we're set up, and yeah, more and more. Like I I I rarely go unless someone can't can't be there in the morning, and or I might set up and they'll break down or something. But I I normally don't do the BC markets anymore. But I mean the Vancouver ones. So uh, after the gin, you uh, did the bittersweet vermouth. We did, yeah. And the Miyamata. Sort of, they were pretty close together, weren't they? Uh, Mongrel was, was in there. Some Mongrel was in yeah. there for sure. And then, actually, Miyamata came near the end. Was one of the later ones. Oh, really? Because we uh, we worked on the on the vermouth for quite a while. Um, and then we had the idea of doing uh, the Amaro, and then Mia went away. Actually, she spent a year in Mexico, so and she was working on it. And then she sort of stopped. We had something we thought we were going to do, mm-hmm. and then she went away for a year. And then, so what was sort of on hold when she came back? She had all kinds of different ideas because of stuff she'd been working in a bar down there, and, and and so she came back and said, "Oh, I'm going to make it completely different." And so it was kind of neat how she got you know influence from from what she'd. Been where did the mood come out of? It was really, it just came out of the crazy BC rules because by that time we were allowed to um, serve cocktails, but the rule was still only what you made in the back. And so we said, well, if we're having a cocktail bar, we really need some kind of vermouth. We can only have some Asian tonics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we got to make a vermouth. And, um, it's kind of a, a cool story. We had this guy, you know, I think everybody in Vancouver knows him in the brewery business too. His name is John Ray. And he goes to the scrapyards and finds equipment for people. And he's, he's a quirky character. And he came in one day and he had a, a, a book, a, a French book. Um, and uh, in another life, I was a French translator. So... Um, he says, here, I have a present for you. And he gave me this book called, um, it's, it's the manufacture of alcohol. It's like from 100 years ago. And I started going through there, and it has four or five old recipes for vermouth. So I said, oh, my God, this is just perfect. So we started with that as a base, and then we just started adding you know, local stuff and different stuff. So I think the hard thing with vermouth now that there's so many vermouths in BC, I think we've got something like 14 I've tasted now, which is just insane. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, we've got like four or five on the island here now. Like, wineries are starting mm-hmm. to get on board and using their winery license. I think the the hard perception I've found um, with vermouth is that a lot of bartenders have opinions of vermouth of what they've tasted. So, whether it be, usually it's the classics, like, you know, like Pratishan Zanos, maybe your Antiquas. But yes. when you really get into like, Spanish vermouths and like crazier French vermouths and regional styles. A lot of bartenders who have opinions about vermouth don't haven't actually tasted these very region specific vermouths. So I've had I, I always get to like verbal blows with people who like poo poo BC spirits. So I always get I always get my back up and I'm like you haven't tasted all the vermouth out there. You haven't mm-hmm. tasted crazy vermouths from Spain and the hillsides of the north of France and stuff like that. Like how can you say anything about BC vermouth unless you've tasted everything? Yeah, yeah. And they usually shut up a little bit most of the time because <laughs> the the bittersweet vermouth is a very specific flavor profile, and it and it has it's not a, a plug in plug out for Nolly Pratt. No, like, it's, it's super unusual, and yeah, we weren't we just sort of actually made it for ourselves and thought this would be great. We, we can make cocktails with it, and we wanted to do something like you know Carpano Antica. That was just, I just love that style. You know that really. 
heavy, rich, sweet style. So that's what we were headed for. We were just we were adding a botanical a week, you know, and and yay or nay, and then we just kept going, and then we got to a certain point, and we just said, you know what, we just like it like it is. We're going to stop. We'll do we'll do another one of those another time, mm-hmm. which we've never done or never gotten there. But that was the intention that we would, we would have this bittersweet vermouth, and then we were going to do something more. Spanish style or heavy Italian style but we just never got there yet and, but we were very taken by surprise by the positive response to it mm-hmm. because we thought it would be something that you know bartenders might enjoy uh, but the, con- the consumer just loves it like eats it up yeah and especially people who have a palate for 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 that sort of bitter sweet mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people out there I mean the the Spanish style vermouths are great. They're very appealing, uh, easy to drink. Um, uh, but but this one is is very special. It's very different. Um, it does go well in cocktails. Uh, but you can. I, 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 we were at a restaurant in Vancouver, one of the Italian ones in Gastown. And they were just serving it by itself, you know, on the rocks. And it was just really nice with a twist of orange. I think this is a testament to a brand as well. Like, literally everything you put out, everybody already knows that it's going to be special. And so anything that you guys put out just literally gets snapped up as quickly as possible. Everybody's like, oh, they've created it. It's come out. It's awesome. So now that the whiskey is starting to roll, how is uh, keeping up with whiskey production? Yeah. You don't have a you don't have a big facility. Like for how popular you are and the the skews you make, your facility is it's pretty it's, it's pretty tiny. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big issue for us. It's a huge issue. Um making because because that's what we started out to do is whiskey mm-hmm. and we're we're looking for ways but we've, every year we make more whiskey than we ever have before so last year was our absolute biggest year for putting away barrels and this year we hope to, to top that So, and we actually have um, the way we do our production we actually have pretty massive capacity because we use our mash tun as our still as well, so basically our, our, our stripping still, our wash still is 3,000 liters, which is pretty big. And so, um, and now we've rented um, next door, the building next door, as the where at the back part as the warehouse. So it's like a two-minute walk to our warehouse. So, um, but whiskey is definitely a challenge. How much, have, how much have we got laid down around about now? We have the equivalent of, say, 120 big barrels. Okay. Because you use slightly smaller ones too, correct? We, we, yeah, we. Now we've graduated to the big barrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two barrel sizes now. We do the what we call half barrels. Um, they're 130 gallon, and then we do the standard bourbon, the 53 gallon, U.S. gallon, um, 200 liters. So we're just doing those two sizes now. And your prospect or any Commodore, uh, your ones that you'll always have available. Correct. So what we're trying to do too is barrels are getting hard to, to get as well. So it really works well is because our prospector is done in brand new barrels mm-hmm. um, then we can reuse those first okay, nice. so we, we sort of that's part of our barrel program um, it's just to repurpose our, our, our new barrels mm-hmm. for single malt um, those two are we're going to have we, we ha- have sort of big visions for like you were at the whiskey festival mm-hmm. they're just a million amazing whiskies 
And so, how do you find your niche to do your thing? So, so our big thing is um, we've been focusing on um, smoked meats. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we did the maple smoked. We've done beech smoked. Um, we've now in we have in, in barrels Garyana oak, Gary oak. Nice. I actually tasted one from uh, Westland. Yes, except they they do it differently. They put it in Gary oak mm-hmm. barrels. Yeah. So we actually take uh, Gary oak and smoke the malt. Interesting. So that so we're using a, a smoked malt like a peated malt, except we're using different woods to smoke the malt. And and how is uh, is it? Because I know I tasted the maple the maple smoke, which was spectacular. Um, how is that? Uh, how has that changed from each of your smoking styles? Well. Um, in terms of taste, they're all different, which is what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, like and that's what I'm thrilled is that every smoke tastes different. And I think I was talking to I was talking to uh, Steve Lee as well as uh, Jacob about this, yeah, because they've been talking about doing smoked peat, uh, peat like peat smoked grain and that sort of thing. Um, I know Shelter Point out put at their smoke point, and I think I think uh, I think Steve Lee put out a, a Lafroy barrel aged one as well. And the smoke comes through really nicely in the barrel aging. Yes, and I was talking about. This, your method yeah. and they were like yeah we were talking to him we like picking his brain and like it's genius nobody's doing this <laughs> yeah. yeah so it it happened well first of all for people who don't know what we do is we put the smoked malt in the gin basket mm-hmm. we have an external gin basket and it was just again it was just one of those things where it just so happened that our gin still is the same still that we use for whiskey you know because we don't have a third still um of course, we have, you know, big cleaning between mm-hmm. batches. But so we were talking about the fact that we couldn't use um, peated malt. It's expensive. And we, we were standing in front of the gin still. And then Joel, you know, our our, our guy, our other, the, the distiller and the masher, he goes, well, why don't we put the malt in the gin basket? Because we just done a gin run. Like we do gin botanicals. And we kind of went, holy crap. And then we tried it. And we were just blown away by how effective it is. Because for a whole still, we use one bag of malt. Yeah. Whereas if you were malting it in, because you, you kind of lose those heavy flavors mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, through the fermentation. Um, so we use one bag of malt and we get super heavily peated. Did you expect it to work out? We didn't really know. We just said, oh, let's try it and see what happens. It's kind of the way we do things. And then <laughs> we are just blown away. And so... It's the most amazing thing in the world because also then we can do a vodka batch right after. We don't have to spend three days cleaning our, mm-hmm. our equipment yeah, of course. from the residual peat mm-hmm. or whatever. So it's isolated to this tiny basket. And so, you know, and it also allows like instant, oh, you want to try this? Okay, let's buy some maple smoked malt. Throw it in, see what we like it. When does the so, peat smoked one come out? That one, so we're using, um, there's the German Rauchbier, that, mm-hmm. so that's Beechwood smoke. Oh, of course. So we, we that's how we bought Rauchmalt from, from Germany. And that's the other thing is that it's a bit of an end run around the rules, but it's totally legit. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not allowed to use outside malts to make alcohol, but we're using this malt in the same way that we use lemons in our gin, which also don't grow. Mm-hmm. The lemons go in the basket. We throw them away. So now this German Rauchmalt goes into the basket, you know. Gets How's that one taste? I really, I really like it. I really like all the smoked malts. 
Maple's always one that is, uh, even after 14 years of being in this country, maple is still not a flavor that I'm like, oh, I really need that yeah. flavor. <laughs> like, it's my wife puts maple syrup on everything for breakfast. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. It's, it's just a flavor that I just don't quite get. Yeah. Just like yeah. most Canadians don't get Vegemite, but that's just a whole different story. Vegemite uh, whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> I've tasted Vegemite in cocktails. I had someone do that specifically because I was judging. Yes. And they went out of their way to make a Vegemite cocktail, which... Uh, uh, he ended up winning, but like he used oh it in a cocktail. So, um, so what do you what do you attribute to your success? Because um, it, it seems like the beginning was luck on luck on luck and serendipity on serendipity on serendipity. Yeah. yeah. But your long term success, like I I, on, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I honestly um. I guess I, I just we just make things that we like, and it so happens that they're accepted and people like them as well. So I'm I'm not sure how where that comes from. Well, Even, you're also uh, very careful that you don't release anything that you don't like, and that, that's true. And I don't know if um, yeah. So I think that's a part of it is that you know e- even if you it's a question of okay, well we could use the cash flow, but we're going to wait. You know, yeah, we've had a few things where, where, yeah, we actually had one in bottles, a whiskey, and I said, I just don't like it. I just, I couldn't, I, I was losing sleep. I, it was come to the release, and I was losing sleep. I said, I just can't. One of those I ones did. where you taste and you're like, yeah, oh, I, this, is, this is good. I, I can see that. And then you taste it again. Once yeah, and I don't like it. So, so we, we dumped the bottles, you know what I mean? So I think, and I think Steve Lee's done that too. It's just, if if I don't like it, I, I honestly, I feel... I feel bad. I just can't. I just feel bad about putting it out there, even though we need the money or whatever, because we always need the money. Every distiller does. Yes. We also have a great team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We um, and you're a family business, basically. Yes. Mia, Mia's on the team. Are yeah. all your family members on the team? They are. Yeah. So we have two daughters, and Mia's been involved the longest. Our youngest daughter has just gotten involved in the last maybe year and a half. And she's, Is that because she was too young to be involved? She just wasn't interested, I think. And uh, I guess she saw how much fun Mia was having. So, <laughs> so she helps us, you know, in the in the in the tasting bar. But she also does um, events. So she's helped us in that way. Uh, and then we've got Joel, who's amazing. Uh, he's he's the he's been with us for a number of years now, um, and he's our distiller masher. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Fraser, who's a fairly new member of the team. He has a PhD in chemistry. We hired him to be our driver. Um, yeah, and we have, you know, Chad, who you know. Um, so great team that way. Um, and also the big, big part, are you know, basically is, is the consumer. You know, like people in our neighborhood, people in Vancouver, the island. The island's fabulous, seriously. Um, and with your neighborhood, like where you're located, wasn't a nice neighborhood when you moved in there. It's it's still rough, it's but still, it's, it's... Yeah, it was super rough. It was like, you know... There's a reason why rent why rent why rent is cheap down that in town. It was cheap. <laughs> was cheap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we still get people... Yeah, I remember we, um, we actually, when we were... Um, doing some work on the distillery uh, we had a table saw and you know the sawdust was coming in so we were doing something else so we put the door down 
And then, like an hour later, we put the door up and our, our table saw is gone. Oh you know, it's like, like it's <laughs> that. That's that was six years yeah. ago, though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you still, I've, I've yeah. been there on Saturdays, like when the tasting room first opened. And you guys go from like zero to 60 some weekends, like from empty open to like full, full. And people yeah. hanging out and yeah, enjoying yeah. themselves. Yeah, Saturdays are a big day. Yeah. Um, and. You know, it, it's it's just um, it's a you know the whole sort of neighborhood, the, uh, the east east van, very very supportive, and you know we've got all those breweries, we've got you know um, uh, Resurrection of course, another distillery, and uh, some really nice bars and restaurants. So it's um, yeah, people are really supportive, and when we go to farmers markets, uh, it, it's just. Um, very touching, always, you know, and and something that we don't want to take for granted, and just we're always reminding ourselves that uh, we have the support, um, and really that's who makes it. If people aren't wanting to to try your stuff and buy your stuff and come in and support you, you're you're not going to survive. Do you feel that's changed a lot since you opened? I think I think people you read articles and you get the social media and stuff and obviously Whiskey Fest was a lot this week just gone so there's the Canadian Whiskey Awards um, and BC's doing very very well but like it, it's still very young and five six years ago people weren't really keen on tasting craft spirits I remember when I first opened up Olo after Ola shut and like mm-hmm. we only did craft spirits zero like macros yes and like telling people who were coming in to spend a hundred dollars a head on dinner that we don't have Grey Goose mm-hmm. didn't go down too well yeah for a lot of people but it's been a it's, do, you, do you see a, sh- a definite like shift yes I think so for a- sure 100%. I think people and I think people are I think the spirits are getting better too mm-hmm. like you you know there's more distilleries and people are maturing and, and, and coming into their own so I I think it's great to see what's happening in the industry too, you know, like, so I think people have a reason to be excited because we're, we're getting up there, you know, like Sheringham winning the gin, you know, so it's as good as, as good as it gets anywhere. So it kind of shows that, that yeah. our stuff can be as good as anywhere. So. And even on a smaller level, um, what Gordon might not see, but I, I get, uh, I used to get inquiries for private tours, not very often, but I, I get them. Now I get them, you know, on a weekly, like oh, wow. very, very regular basis. People wanting to come in and tour the facility. And so that... Just take them into the middle of the room and go, that's where we make that. That's <laughs> and just point to three things along that back hall. <laughs> and we're not in a tourist area. Like, no. if you're in a tourist area, it's understandable. Yeah. You know, people are coming so in. Resurrection. Like, Resurrection's even a little bit further out. I remember yes. walking downtown from Resurrection. Yeah. Um, and again, you like, there's that door and you open up that door and it's like, holy crap, this yes. facility's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, it's sort of trans- it's transformative. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so that's definitely changing. Um, you know, people uh, def- more of an interest. I think uh, before, you know, beer was really where it's at. And of course, people still love mm-hmm. beer, but I think people are branching out as a result. They want to try uh, spirits, cider, um, and some of the statistics that, you know, you've been reading in the States is that there's there's been... Yeah, wines, wines dropped a bit mm-hmm. and spirits are going up. But- and yeah. you guys collaborate with, with so many breweries now. Powell Street mainly, right? Uh, oh, uh, t- uh, definitely Powell Street yeah. for sure, but quite a few others, yeah. Yeah, you always throw in people botanicals or aging beer. Or- yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's another thing. We're in that neighborhood. There's, you know, about 12 breweries within eight blocks or something. Yeah. And so 
were, that was another rule change. We were allowed to serve beer all yeah. of a sudden. Um, so we thought, okay, you know, if we serve, if we just, if we serve a regular beer, well, they can go across the street and drink it where it's made. Yeah. So let's do something different. So, you know, we give them barrels or, or they take some more gin or, you know, um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and there's some pretty cool beers actually. Absolutely. I think the big stumbling block to be, um, here I'm getting into politics, but the, the, the big, issue is, uh, you know, the international companies, um, especially, you know, companies like Diageo, mm-hmm. uh, they have, seems like they have endless amounts of money mm-hmm. and they've started these, you know, the master, they, people come in mm-hmm. and they're, they're smart because they saw what happened to the, to the beer industry. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the international beer companies didn't take these craft breweries very seriously. And so I think that, you know, that, that these guys are being very proactive and, but un- unfortunately, you know, Gordon and I joke because sometimes we have these great bartenders who've supported local and then they, then we, we joke. Yeah, Joe Grand Ambassador. Oh, they, we go, oh yeah. my God, we lost another one. Or, or, <laughs> I know, no, no, no. I know the exact person you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've gone over to the dark side. Yeah, yeah, Actually, yeah, yeah. We, we were a little bit stronger than that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping this year, I'm hoping actually in the next month to launch a, a an education platform around BC Spirits based mm-hmm. similar to what BC Wine Institute does mm-hmm. with VQA. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's got their own opinion about VQA, mm-hmm. but like trying to sort of like lay out our history, um, which goes back a long way, but lay out our history and uh, where it's come from, where it's going, who makes what. Yes. And I think it's going to be an eight hour session because we'll taste like five two to five things from each category mm-hmm. over, over a period of eight hours mm-hmm. and really get deep dive into like the exposure of what we have available because people still think we only make gin and vodka yes. and now whiskey obviously has become a big thing too but there's yes. so much stuff out there every time I do a new episode it's like oh, I'm just going to do coffee liqueurs how many coffee liqueurs can there be and then it's eight, <laughs> bucket, eight coffee liqueurs later and I'm like oh that was $250 eight, eight coffee liqueurs 250 bucks, and now I have eight bottles of coffee liqueur <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's it I think part of it too is people you know there's so many new distilleries everyone is being innovative they're, they're, they're trying to and so they come up with all this new stuff you know and, um, so what's the big plan for 2020 uh, well one more whiskeys yeah, yeah more whiskeys the, the full on whiskeys and which equals few. equals uh, you know a warehouse we yeah. have to look, we're try, we've been working at it for quite a while but we really to want to purchase warehouse. a warehouse mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice rick house yeah, yeah, where we can, where we yeah. can really, you know, we're sort of stuck now. We've got this place next door, but it's sort of temporary, yeah. and there's not that much room there. So, but also it's um, um, different whiskeys. Like I want to continue with the smoked whiskeys. Like next month we're doing. I, I actually had an email today. We're doing the Arbutus, you know, oh, Arbutus nice. wood, and then um, the big one that I that we just found out, and I think it's it's just perfect. I never realized we're going to do a dogwood. Because it's a provincial tree or whatever, yep. I guess. So if we have a dogwood smoked malt, like that would just be a BC whiskey. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so it's just those kinds of fun things. All of a sudden you say, hey, let's... So we're kind of lucky that we can just have an idea and, and try it at least. We somehow have the facility to do it. But Any, any new skews outside of whiskey that you're working on? Or is whiskey just the focus for this year? I have one, but I, I, I'm not going to say what it is because... It always takes me so long to do it, but I've wanted to do it from day one, and now there's a few tweaks on it. So, 
I'm working on that on the side, but it'll be another year or so, I think. So you're yeah. just going to roll out the smoked whiskeys every quarter sort of thing? and Yeah, whenever they're ready. And now that we're in big barrels, like, like for example, our next, we're doing a release of the Commodore in March. And um, most of it, or I think almost all of it, will come from big barrels. So that'll be four years old. You know, like we're finally getting, so not just three-year-old in the little barrels. And then we're going to release a five-year-old this year, our first five-year-old. Nice. So we're just, as we get older, our stuff gets older, you know. Yeah. We're, matu- we're maturing. Yeah, everybody gets older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, on my birthday, you know, I feel fire. I, and I personally would like to um, uh, see the tasting bar grow a little mm-hmm. bit more because right now we're only open four days a week. I'd like to see it open, uh, you know, an extra another extra day mm-hmm. and use it more, you know, uh, because it's it sits empty for you know um, a small part of the week, but still three mm-hmm. three days is still three days. So um, yeah, we, I'd like to do that. And uh, step, and I'd like to also step away from from overseeing the the bar because that's that's I, I really want to be looking at um, uh, growing our markets mm-hmm. and that type of thing, and get someone who's a, who's a more competent, a lot better, and younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for sitting down with me again. Um, I think the, the podcast, this these podcasts with BC Spurs have been really well received already. Oh, good. Um, so I think uh, I don't think people really understand the the work it takes to be a BC distiller right now. It's uh, with caps and government re- regulations still being quite restrictive. It's kind of uh, interesting to sit down and see everybody's perspective. Mm-hmm. So, and you guys are awesome. So I always love sitting down with you, regardless. Thank you. Thank you, Sean.